0: Welcome to episode number 53 of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and Reformation Roundtable is a production of Christ Covenant Church, a Reformed church in Centralia, Washington. The following audio is the Lord's Day service that took place on July 4th. We heard from Pastor Brian Nolder on what true liberty actually looks like. It was Independence Day the day that we celebrate the freedom that America enjoys, or at least used to enjoy. And we talked about what true liberty, what true freedom looks like. And you're not going to want to miss his sermon. If you'd like to join us, we meet at 9.30 a.m. every Sunday, every Lord's Day. We, We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. We sing psalms. We sing them robustly. We engage in just robust covenant renewal worship, and we'd love to have you come and join us. So if you'd like to find out where we're meeting, go visit lewiscounty.church, and you'll find all of the current worship times. So I hope to see you there, and I hope you enjoy the audio from this Lord's Day service. Our meditation in preparation for worship this morning comes from Psalm 123, verses 1 and 2. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until he has mercy on us. Pray with me. Father, we lift up our eyes to you who dwells in the heavens. We are helpless on our own and can only look to you, our Lord and our God. In your mercy, please send your spirit as we worship you now. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please rise with me as we worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9. Hear the word of God. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We come before you to give you glory and strength to give you glory, to give you the glory, do your name. We bring our offerings into your courts with joy and gratitude. Cause us to sense the very real presence of the Holy Spirit this morning as we worship you in the beauty of holiness, as we, your people, throughout the whole earth and here at Christ Covenant Church, tremble in awe before you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end, and amen. Each week printed on the front of your bulletin are the lectionary readings for that week. And this week, we are in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 2, God says to the prophet, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them... Whether they hear, or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. Peop- for they are a rebellious house. Yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. The history of Israel is one of rebellious hearts, stiff necks, stubborn pride, transgression, and impudence toward the Creator. God's response to His chosen people is one of seemingly endless, long-suffering, mercy, and grace. God sends Ezekiel to these people, a people who constantly make it clear that they were chosen by no merit of their own. He sends Ezekiel to declare, thus says the Lord. In other words, instead of ignoring them, indulging them, or even smiting them, God sends his word amongst them so that they might repent. He even says that regardless if they repent or not, even in their pride— they will know that a prophet has been among them. That is to say, they will be without excuse before the throne of judgment. God would be perfectly justified in dispensing his holy justice upon his disobedient people, but he is patient and instead sends them his very word. Jumping ahead many years later when the Apostle Paul has been converted to Christ but is still wrestling with that old man of pride... He tells us uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he says, Lest I should be exalted above measure, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Beloved Paul was so loved by his Savior that the Lord sent him a thorn in his flesh specifically, so that he might not fall victim to the same sins of pride and rebellion his fathers did in Ezekiel's time. The affliction of this thorn kept Paul focused on who was doing the saving, because it clearly wasn't himself. Beloved, you belong to Jesus precisely because you are weak. Recognizing your weakness is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and when you face your weakness without excuse— It is then that Christ is strong, and therefore, when you are strong. But this weakness must be recognized with a soft heart and without a stiff neck. And this is only something that the Spirit can give, which reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So as you are able, will you please kneel with me? Scripture says, Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt, our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are king over all creation, and we come before you now to confess our sins, clinging to your promise that if we confess our sins, you will be faithful to forgive them. Lord, today we confess our sinfulness as a nation. While we are thankful for our country, Father, we make no allusions to the fact that as a people... We have deserved your divine wrath time and time again for decade upon decade. We are a sinful nation that murders the unborn. We steal from our citizens. We honor the wicked and punish the righteous. We call evil good and good evil. We corrupt the hearts and minds of our youth, and we drive to despair those among us that we deem undesirable. We despise those that are, of, that are aged and full of wisdom, And we worship the most degenerate in our midst simply because they possess youth, the thing we idolize above nearly everything else. We confess to you that as a people, we follow after the false religion of rank secular humanism, seeking to place ourselves as the pinnacle of your created world. Father, forgive us as a nation, and we ask that you would revive our hearts, cause our people to see their weakness, and to turn their hearts to you in faith trusting in your son Jesus as their only hope of salvation. We confess our own individual sins to you now in Selah. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, and amen. Amen. Having confessed your sins, hear the following promise from Scripture. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. People of God, hear the good news. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Good morning. <clears throat> Very nice to be with all of you today.
1: Um, our Old Testament reading, and, I, and I'm going to respond with the same responses that you used before for the gospel reading, um, So Isaiah 61 is our Old Testament reading. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, be to God.
1: And then Romans chapter 6, uh, I'm actually going to be begin at verse 14 here, just to help the context here. For sin will, not ha- will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Let us pray. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, your word is truth, it is light a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. Bless now the proclamation of your word that we would hear the voice of our Savior Jesus Christ who speaks of our freedom in him and our service to you and that there is true liberty in being your slaves. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I know not what, other cor- uh, what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or... Give me death. Such were the words spoken on March 23rd, 1775 by Patrick Henry, the Virginia statesman who worked tirelessly for the cause of American independence, of which today we celebrate the 245th anniversary. But of course, we're not meeting here this morning, even though we're meeting in a Grange Hall as a local civics club. We're not meeting here this morning as the meeting of a particular political party. No, we're meeting here this morning as the church of Jesus Christ, as the bride of Christ, as the disciples of Jesus Christ. We are first and foremost Christians, not Americans. Disciples of Jesus, not followers of Washington or Jefferson or Franklin. And brothers and sisters, I have a message for you this morning. I am here to proclaim slavery throughout the land. Slavery throughout the land. Because that's what Romans 6 is teaching us. Bob Dylan put it so famously, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. In speaking of liberty, one Catholic bishop remarkably, memorably said, true liberty is not the freedom to do what we want to do. True liberty is the freedom to do what we ought to do. So this passage speaks of dual slaveries. And it starts off with this question, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Now, I want to speak briefly about that. What does it mean to be under law? Uh, You know, if you go and stay at Frank Stout's church, uh, Stout's home, excuse me, you are very conscious of time because there are clocks and watches everywhere. And this phrase, we have to be sensitive, like Frank is, to time. Time. Because it's not just saying that you don't relate to God by law, but you instead relate to him by grace, but it's talking about a a redemptive historical shift that has happened from the old covenant where God's people were ruled by all kinds of laws. You know, if you wanted to go to church, you had to bring an animal, Uh, you had to bring some grain, Um, you had to wear clothing that wasn't mixed, you had to observe a particular calendar, um, you know, you met on Saturdays instead of Sundays. There were all kinds of laws, and there is a shift that has happened with the advent of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who lives on this side of the resurrection is a recipient of God's grace, but what I'm saying is that we live in an age of abundance and fullness of that grace that has come where we no longer have to observe so many of those ceremonial laws that kept Israel separate from the nations, and that in a sense kind of locked them up as well as the time of bondage in the pagan idolatry. So we're not under that era, we are now under an era of grace, the manifestation of the gospel of God. And then Paul lays out a a very basic thesis statement here in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? There it is, slavery throughout the land. You're either a slave of sin, whether you recognize it or not, and most people don't, otherwise they would seek liberty from it, Or you are a slave of God. You are a slave of righteousness. And this is true. There's no third option. There's no like neutral territory where you can kind of sit and decide, well, let me think about this for a while, whether I want to be a slave of sin that leads to death or I want to be a slave of righteousness that leads to eternal life. What did Jesus say? If you're not for me, you're against me you're against me. There's no neutral place. When you go back to the previous chapter in Romans 5, Paul says you are either in Adam, you are tethered to our first father, and you are fallen in him, or you are in Christ. You have been liberated from Adam, and you are now tethered to Christ, and you're on a new road. You're on a narrow path that leads to life, but that's going to look differently. Your life is going to be characterized by one kind of behavior if you're on the broad path that leads to destruction, or it's going to be characterized by a different kind of lifestyle if you're on the narrow path that leads to life. There was a rock lyricist that was asked many years ago, what are, who are your influences? And he, and he said, I am no man's disciple. Well, he may think that, but he's, he's actually Adam's disciple. He follows in his footsteps. Uh, the Bible scholar Douglas Moo says this about this passage. One is never free from a master, and those non-Christians who think they are free are under an illusion created and sustained by Satan. The choice with which people is faced is not, should I retain my freedom or give it up and submit to God, but should I serve sin or should I serve God? Again, as, as Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve something. The question is not, am I a slave or am I free? The question is, of what or of whom am I serving? Am I a slave? You know, one way to think about this is is that that famous passage in Philippians 2 where it says that Christ took upon himself our nature, it says he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was an unfallen creature. And so man's basic state is to be a servant, a servant of our creator. And, And of course, the Bible says that there's great liberty in that. We're fulfilling our true purpose. We enjoy the good life when we live that way. So this is not something to be afraid of. Now, granted, in a fallen condition, it's hard. You know, Jesus says it's like taking up a cross. It's, It's putting yourself to death. But it's putting yourself to death so that you can live. So that you can live. Now, what happened to these Roman Christians? Thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin... You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. Again, we were slaves of sin. And that's what we are outside of Christ. Part of the way we know that is that even in Christ, we still struggle with sin, don't we? You know, we still do things that we're ashamed of, that we shouldn't do, that we have to ask forgiveness for. That's part of the reason our service starts with a prayer of confession every week because we know even as the righteous even as the godly we we continue to fall short.
0: <clears throat>
1: if you want to you read earlier in Romans you read about Romans chapter 1, right? All those lists of vices and you look out at the world today and you see it. Romans chapter 2 even though those who claim to follow the law are enslaved to sin. All alike Jew and Gentile are under sin. All of us need the mercy and the forgiveness that is in Christ to forgive us for that sin, but also, as this chapter says, to free us from that sin, to not only deal with the penalty of sin, but to deal with the power of sin in our lives. And that's what's happened to these Roman Christians, and that's what happened to you if you are a believer in Jesus. You're on a different path. You're, in a, you're going a different direction. They became obedient to the standard of teaching. Some translations say the, the form of teaching. It's, it's the Greek word tupos, okay, which kind of means like a shape or an impression. It's what, it's what a king would use to seal a letter that he wrote, okay, to say, this is my letter. Okay? So it's that impression that's created by the ring. Okay? And what that means is is that there is a standard of teaching. The reason that's important for us to point out is cuz you know, you could probably go up the road to Seattle and you'd find some churches there that would say, "Oh, you know, if you want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and claim to be a disciple of Jesus, that's fine. There's no standard of teaching about moral behavior in terms of human sexuality. But there is. See? There is. Romans chapter 1 lays out clearly what is wicked and abominable to God. When Paul talks here about that we have become obedient to the standard teaching, I've been set free from sin, you know, he's trafficking in the same language that Jesus uses in John 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody loves to quote that verse, don't they? You'll know the truth. You'll know the truth of, of progressive politics. You'll know the truth of science and progress. And, and, and you, won't be, you won't be burdened by the ignorance of these people who lived 2,000 years ago. A guy who walked on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea and, and taught people, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You won't be ignorant like that anymore. You'll, you'll be free. You know? Um, Rudolf Boltmann said, you know, how can you believe in, in, in miracles in the age of electricity? You know, when you can turn the, the lights on, how can you believe in miracles anymore? Well, you know, that, where has that kind of progress gotten us? Where is that kind of truth? I mean, what kind of freedom has that really brought? It's brought broken families. It's brought slavery to the state. It's brought increasing wickedness. You know, that they, they think that they're freer because they're throwing off God's shackles, if you will. But it's actually led to a greater bondage, addictions. People living on the streets, enslaved to their passions and their desires. You see, the truth that Jesus is talking about is himself. You shall know the truth. I am the way, the life, and the truth. It's knowing his word that is the truth, that brings true liberty. You see, when Paul talks about the form of teaching here, the standard of teaching, he's talking about that gospel that he introduced the letter with back in Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power by, according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he summarizes that gospel again in chapter 4, verse 25. Christ who was delivered over for our trespasses and raised for our justification, raised for our right standing with God. Now, Paul's point here is that Paul's gospel is not just something to be believed. It's something to be obeyed. It's not just something to be received passively. Of course, that's our first response. We need to recognize that we can't do anything for God. We don't earn anything from God. We receive that gospel, but that receptive faith, those empty hands of faith are active, Penitent and obedient. Not perfectly, of course, but but progressively, continuously. Again, as I said before, um, you know, he's not just here to deliver us from the penalty of sin, he's to deliver us from the power of sin. And then, of course, one day in the future, from the very presence of sin. I mean, look at the way, this is really striking. Um, look at the way it's, it's actually standard, uh, v- uh, stated here in verse 17. Become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We might think that he says, the standard of teaching that was committed to you. And that's true, right? When the word of God is brought to you, either when somebody initially shared their faith with you, or you started to read the Bible, and that teaching was committed to you. But what this is saying is that you are committed to it. You see, the message of the Bible is not just something that's delivered to you. It's something that delivers you. It transforms you. It changes you. And, and the shepherd, you, by the power of his spirit, draws you and, and you become committed to it even as it is delivered to you. Why is it that we are set free from sin here in verse 18? Well, again, as I said before, back in chapter 5, Paul says you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're united to one of these two people, these two heads of humanity. And if you are in Adam, you are dead in sins and trespasses. You are children of wrath, even as the rest. You follow the course of the prince of the power of the air, right? Ephesians 2, all that stuff that's there. But when you are united to Christ, of of which your baptism is a a sign and seal, uh, of which the Spirit works faith in you to unite you to Christ, you become liberated. You become taken out of Adam and put into Christ. And in him, there's newness of life. There's, there's, there's resurrection, if you will, not just in the future outwardly, but inwardly, right? Ephesians 2, again, you are seated with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. You know, you may not look like it. You, 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 you know, we look around, we, we sit here on the earth. Some of us sit a little bit lower than others, right? <laughs> but in Christ, you are seated in heavenly places. You have spiritual power. You have liberation from your bondage to sin. You have a new ability to say yes to righteousness, to say yes to love, to say yes to joy that is found in Christ. Now Paul recognizes that, that to put it this way, you know, slavery throughout the land, he's speaking in kind of a harsh way. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. You know, we don't know the half of it. What we forget is that a lot of Paul's readers, when they first heard this letter, were slaves themselves. They knew what he was talking about in a very physical, social, economic way. That's part of the reason they were so attracted to Christ is that even though they had very challenging, difficult circumstances, just as many of our brethren do in in Africa and China and Saudi Arabia where there's a lot of persecution... They knew that there was, there was a way out, if you will, maybe not completely in this life, but that there was, there was liberty, there was liberty being proclaimed in Christ. Thanks be to God. We don't want to take that for granted at verse 17. It's not just a pious platitude. But it's the very means, you know, it's, it's the very expression by which Paul... I mean, notice how all the passive language. You who were once slaves have become obedient, having been set free. Having been set free. You know, you didn't do that. You know, you didn't just pick up your, your carbine rifle, <laughs> right, and set yourself free. Because, you know... How do I put it? You're, you're in chains. You're dead. Okay? Somebody's got to come. You know? Um, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Verse four, my pastor's favorite hymn. He would, he would quote this verse time and time again in his preaching. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went and followed thee. But you didn't do that until thine eye... Diffused a quickening. Now, kids, quickening, that's a fancy word that means life giving, right? Jesus comes to judge the quick and the dead. You probably don't, what does that mean? The really fast people? No. The people who are alive, he comes to judge the people who are alive as well as the people who are dead. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, a life giving ray, having been set free. It's God who places you in Christ. It's God who liberates you from Adam. It's God who raises you in Christ. And see, we always need to be thankful. We always need to be thankful. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, needing to war lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. In a sense, before, you didn't have a choice. You just served sin, and and you wanted to do that. I wanted to do that. I loved my sin. Now you are liberated to be able to say, no, that's not right. Not only is it not right, it's not healthy. It's not good for me. It's not good for my family. It's not good for my community. It's not good for my country. Not that we're primarily concerned about that. Now I have the ability to serve not myself, not my sins, but to serve others, to serve God, to serve my neighbors. You once were slaves to sin. You were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit was getting you at the time from the things of which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death. Oh, brothers and sisters, we, we know it. We know where this end is. People are going to have to face the judge of the living and the dead. And we so wish that our, that our neighbors knew it. We, we wish that the people who proclaim all of this progress and all this liberation from the past knew it. Uh, you know, Brother Les was talking yesterday about this woman who is hassling him because he has a verse from Romans on his car. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and we scratch our heads and we say, you know, why why do people do that? And you know, why do they think that a boy can be a girl or that or that two men can have a normal, healthy sexual relationship like a like a, a wife and a husband do. We have to remember They're slaves. They're slaves. Yes, do they do it willingly? Do they do it in defiance of our God? Yes. But in a sense, we need to have a little sympathy. Right? You were slaves of sin. You were free. What was the fruit you were getting of the things of which you are now ashamed? Outside of Christ, we would do those things. We did do those things, and sometimes even we still do those things. So we need to have some compassion and summon them to realize the, the folly, the destruction, not only that they're doing now, but, but that they're store, heaping up wrath for themselves in the age to come. And we need to keep bearing witness. We need to keep being willing to be made fun of and, and called ignorant and called outdated and bigoted and, and, and uh, unloving because we know that it's good for them to know Jesus and to put to death the deeds of the body that they might live. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. In other words, we have the dual slaveries. We have the the slaves' duties, right? Slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And, And notice how this is talking about an ongoing process. You have been set free, and the fruit, okay, um, present your members as slaves to righteousness. Brothers and sisters, you need to realize that this is, a, this is a lifelong journey, right? You have to keep walking the path, the narrow path. You can't just say, you know, I, I used to go to Bible camp when I was a kid, and it was so wonderful, and and God did so many things in, in my heart then. Or, you know, I went on this mission trip to Africa once and I, I witnessed to 30 different people and people came to know the Lord. Um that's great. But you can't you can't rest on the past. Okay. If you really are, have been set free from sin, it's not just something that's going to happen, you know, when you're a teenager or when you're a college student, or when you're a single person, okay? It's going to keep continuing and maturing and growing and developing. Again, not not that we're all going to be free from some of our struggles, but it has to be a, a, you know, that's why the Bible uses this word walk, right? You walked in slavery to the evil one, now you walk in good works that God prepared beforehand for you, and and you don't you don't stand still. You got to keep walking. You got to keep progressing. You got to keep on that narrow path, and it will result in more and more sanctification in this life. And then there will come a time of rest, <laughs> right? Hebrews four there there's a sabbath rest that yet awaits the people of god you know we we get a chance to to sit here and and have a foretaste of it this morning okay but then we have to go back out into the world and and do those works and and keep making progress and um keep training up our children and and keep bearing testimony to our to our neighbors and then we're looking forward to a time when when there will be unbroken fellowship and and no more struggles with sin and no more tears and no more no more pain and and uh, you know no more having to worry about whether we're going to be late for church because there's no gas in the car, it'll just be an unceasing worship service <clears throat> as we think about the contrast here between the life of sin, whose end is death, and the liberty that we have in Christ, the eternal life that leads to eternal life, if you will. What we want to do then is we want to take Patrick Henry's statement and turn it into a prayer: "Give me liberty, O God." Because if not, I know you will give me death. Give me liberty from my slavery to Adam and to Satan and to sin. Give me liberty in Christ. Give me liberty by the power of your spirit. Give me liberty by the grace of the new covenant. So that I can die to self now and have life forevermore with you. You know, as we think about this, we often think that our founders said, no king. And there were some of them, like Jefferson and Franklin, who said that. But, but the ones who were faithful fathers, what they said was, no king but Jesus. We want Jesus to be our king because our slavery to him, our service to him, not only will it do good in our community, not only will it do good in our families, but it's, it's, it's the path that leads to life. Abundant life here, eternal life in the age to come. May God give us joy in continuing to be his servants, to follow in the path of our servant king, so that we truly delight in knowing and serving him.
0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. One of the beautiful things about coming to the Lord's table during a covenant renewal service is that at this point in the service, you have been set free. You've been set free from your sin covenantally. Christ has justified you. You already have been promised and given total forgiveness. You've already confessed your sins and have been promised by Holy Scripture that you are set at liberty, true liberty, as Brian just preached today. So when you are served the bread and the wine, partake with joy and not sorrow. Keep your chin up and your heart jolly. Look around at your brothers and sisters partaking with you. They are the one loaf of Christ, and you belong to them, and they belong to you and we all belong to Christ. When you take the cup, remember the same thing. Remember that these people, that you, we all belong in the new covenant. We belong to one another, and we all belong to Christ. There's no need to navel-gaze or ponder in sorrow again at what a wretched sinner you are. Beloved, Christ knows the state of your wretchedness far better than you do. He saved you from that wretchedness and has declared you forgiven and set free because of his suffering at the wrath of God on your and my behalf. At the Lord's table, we are fed by the king with the body and blood of the king. So for all those who, have, who bear the name of Christ through baptism, come and welcome to Jesus. The charge is this. You have been set free. You are not a slave to sin, so don't act like one. You have the only true liberty man can ever know, and so go out into the world acting like the free Narnians that you are. As free Christians, go and be like Jesus and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. Receive the benediction from Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day.